Well, welcome to the hills and happy Easter morning. And let's maybe you're watching me online somewhere else in the world. It might even be evening where you are, but thank you for joining us. And a special shout out to all of you at the West Fort Worth and South Lake campus. Wherever you are, I want you to get this card. Now, it should be uh, close to you. We have enough for everybody and a pen. If you don't have one by you, hold up your hand. Our usher will bring you one. We have some of the baskets there back at the communion tables. Everyone get a card and a pen. Turn it over to the back and there are some slots. We're going to do this quickly. I want everyone to participate. Top slot, just write your name. Just your first name is fine. But just write down your name. Now on that second slot, write down something that you love to do. Travel, play with grandkids, golf, fish, shop, cook. Something you just love. Write it on that second slot, okay? Now, on the third slot, I want you to put down something on your bucket list. Something you would love to do, but you haven't yet. Visit the Holy Land, run a marathon, finally write a book, finally read a book, whatever it is, okay? Put it in that third slot. Now, in that fourth slot, I want you all to be courageous. This is just between you and God. No one else sees it. I want you to write down your biggest fail. What's the time you feel like you disappointed God the most? That cringe moment that whenever you remember it, you just kind of think, oh, my. Go ahead and put that in that slot right there. Just hold on to that card. We'll come back to it in a second. And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you the story of the Sunday school teacher spent all year with three and four-year-olds wondering if she was connecting. It was Easter weekend, so she asked, does anyone know what Easter is? And one little boy said, yes, that's when all the family comes over and we have turkey and watch football. And she said, no, sweetheart, I think that's Thanksgiving. A little girl said, Sally, Easter is when you come down the stairs and all the presents are under a tree. And she's thinking, no, that's Christmas. Wondering, have I just totally missed these kids? But one little boy waved his hand fervently and said, teacher, I know Easter is when Jesus died and was buried. And she's thinking, yes, I reached one child. And he continued, and he comes out of the grave, and if he sees a shadow, we have six more weeks of winter. <laughs> now, I tell that story for a specific reason. Because the truth is, everybody in our nation is going to celebrate the Easter holiday today. But a lot will not validate the Easter story. They're going to take the story behind Easter that Jesus came back from the dead and they're going to put it in the same category as Santa Claus and the great pumpkin and even the Easter bunny. And the stunning thing is there are many churches in our nation who are doing the same thing. They've given up on the idea of the supernatural. So they don't preach that Jesus literally came back from the dead, but they say it's all a symbol. It's the Easter principle that we need to keep hope alive because bad things can get better. So if you are a guest and this is your first time at the hills, you ought to know we ain't one of those churches. So here's what we preach here. That Jesus of Nazareth was a real person. That he really was crucified. He really was put in a tomb. And on the third day, he really did come back from the dead bodily and visibly. That's what we preach here. That's what we believe. Here we believe that Easter is true. And you've probably heard that all religions are basically the same. And I'm going to give you two reasons today to not believe that. 
And the first is this. There's only one religion that claims that its founder personally defeated death. And this is huge. That Christianity is not based just on rules or principles. You don't have to believe the Buddha was a real person to practice Buddhism. But you need to understand the legitimacy of Christianity stands or falls on the truth of a historical event. Easter means Christianity is either a big deal or a big lie. And there is no religion that invites rigorous investigation like Christianity. Christianity is willing to say, we've got evidence for you to make the faith leap that Jesus came back from the dead. We invite you with an open mind to explore the evidence and make your own decision. What did happen to the body of Jesus of Nazareth? And how did these written accounts of his life appear so early after his life and death? And if the whole thing is a scam, how on earth did those disciples pull it off? And why would they go all over the world and die horrible, torturous deaths for a lie? And how do you explain the birth and the stunning growth of the church? These are just some of the questions you need to wrestle with. And I want to remind you that the Christian religion did not start 300 years after Jesus lived, 3,000 miles away. It started right after his life, in the time and in the place where it should have been the easiest to discredit the central claim. So if you say, I like the Jesus thing, I'm into that, but I don't think about the resurrection, I don't go there. You haven't just cut off the last chapter, you have destroyed the whole Christian story. If the tomb is not empty, then our faith is. Now, a man named Paul, one of the early missionaries, said that. He wrote a letter to a church in Corinth, and he said, I passed on to you what was most important. And what had also been passed on to me, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said, (coughs) he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Now, why does this matter? Well, he goes on to say, because if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Notice Paul connects the validity of the resurrection to the truth or the importance of you being forgiven of your sins. Now, life is hard. Hold up your hand if you've got some problems in your life. Hold up your hand. Okay, hold up your hand if you're sitting by one of the problems of your life, okay? That may not be a good idea. Despite what those late night preachers say, Jesus did not come to deliver you from all the problems of life. He came to deliver us from the penalty of our sins. But how does the defeat of death guarantee that my sin problem has been dealt with and I'm right with God again? Okay, I'll go back to Paul one more time. This time he wrote a church in Ephesus. He said, once... You were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. 
It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So here is the second huge difference between Christianity and other religions. We claim that our founder came back from the dead. And we claim this radical idea that you get right with God, not by merit, but by the free gift of his grace. You see, what other religions say is not that you're dead. They say you're sick. You're sick and we have a prescription. And it depends on what religion it is. Buddhism will give you one set of rules and Islam will give you another. But the point is, do this and you'll get better. Christianity doesn't say you're sick. Christianity says you're dead. You can't fix it. If you are going to get right with God, he's going to have to do a miracle. He's going to have to do something that is pure gift and give you the life you can never create on your own. This is why Easter matters. The resurrection is the proof and promise that God is willing to give us new and eternal life as a complete gift. But for many of us, believing that will require an even bigger stone get rolled away. Because a lot of us are better at believing in resurrection than we are at believing in grace. See, I'm assuming that the great majority of you are here today because you are intellectually open to and even believe that Jesus came back from the dead. But you're not sure if God wants you to come back. And the reason we struggle with the miracle of grace, even more than the miracle of resurrection, is because failure is real. Now, if you have never failed, you are excused from listening to the rest of this sermon. And thank you, Jesus, for coming to our church today. I heard the story of a preacher who said, after preaching on the verse that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, nobody's perfect. In fact, if you think you're perfect, just stand up right now. And a man at the back stood up and everyone was shocked. And the preacher said, you're saying you think you're perfect? He said, no, I'm standing for my wife's first husband. Okay, here's the point. (laughs) We have all failed more times than we can remember. And we all have at least one epic fail. We can never forget. If you ask Robert Ebeling, he would tell you. Some of us are old enough to remember where we were in 1986 when the space shuttle Challenger took off and exploded on national television. All seven aboard were killed. He was one of the five engineers that approached NASA officials and said, don't launch yet. And he specifically laid out the problem that could cause the explosion that actually happened. But he was overruled. He watched that spaceship blow up. And he never recovered. Soon after that, he resigned his position with NASA, and he went into a deep depression that he battled for decades. Just two years ago, he gave an interview on National Public Radio. He still hasn't recovered. He said, if I could ever talk to God, I would ask him, why did you choose me for that job? You picked a loser. If you asked Peter, what was your biggest fail? The thing that haunts you the most. It wouldn't have taken him long to fill in his slot. 
He would have remembered the night he condemned himself trying to save himself. You see, it's the night before Jesus was about to die. He's telling the disciples it's going to happen. They don't want to hear it. And they especially don't want to hear that they're all going to deny him. Peter holds up his hand and said, not me. Now, I can't speak for the rest of these bozos. But I would never forsake you, Jesus. Take it to the bank. And Jesus looked right at him and said, Peter, you will deny me three times before morning. Shortly thereafter, Jesus is arrested. And Peter followed just like he said he would at a distance. But then Peter figured out real soon, this is going to end badly. And someone walked up to him and said, aren't you one of his disciples? No. Someone else a little later. You're one of his disciples, right? No. Stop it. I don't know the guy. But the problem is every time he opened his mouth, he convicted himself because he had an accent from Galilee where Jesus was from. So it says in Matthew 26, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. He began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. So how many times do you think Peter replayed that moment in his mind? He did what he promised he would never do. He went where he swore he would never go. You ever been there? If you were honest a few moments ago, you know you have. You swore. You swore you'd get some help, but you didn't. You promised you'd never pick up that bottle or click on that website again, but you did. You weren't going to be like your dad, but you made some of the same mistakes he made. You said till death do us part, and you meant it until you didn't. You dedicated that baby to Jesus the first time you held him. But they don't follow Jesus. We've all been there. Some of you were there just a few moments ago. You see, we're better at remembering our worst than remembering God's best. And our memories and our emotions are so susceptible to assaults from the adversary. And yes, we have an adversary at this church. We believe in a real devil. And I want you to know that on every thought that enters your mind came from you. And so we have these flashbacks. We could just be mowing the yard, taking a shower, minding our own. And suddenly it comes back. Our epic fail. And it's not so much that it causes us to lose faith in God. But it makes us think God's probably lost faith in us. And so we conclude like Peter. That Jesus come back. Doesn't mean I get to have one. And so. In John 21. This is after the resurrection. That Peter has believed in. He says. He says. To his buddies, 
I'm going fishing. Now, he doesn't mean I'm going out for an afternoon of fun. He means I'm going back to the life I'm good at. I'm not good at following Jesus. I totally screwed up. But I know how to catch fish. I'm going back to that. See, he believed in the reality of the resurrection just like you do. But just like many of us, he had trouble believing in the enormity of grace. But Peter not being able to forget his fail wasn't going to cause Jesus to forget his friend. There's this beautiful little verse, you can miss it if you're not careful, in Mark 16. The women go to the tomb, it's empty, there's an angel there, and she gives them a message. She says, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there just as he told you before he died. Go tell the boys Jesus wants to meet them. Be sure you tell Peter. Be sure Peter knows Jesus especially Wants to see him again. And so, back to that story. Peter's out fishing. And they haven't caught anything. Now, if you're a fisherman, what's the worst thing besides not catching anything? Somebody asking you, have you caught anything? (laughs) This dude on the beach says, have you caught anything? No. Well, put your nets on the other side of the boat. Duh. But they do. And next thing you know, the nets are so full, they can't pull the fish in the boat. And someone says, it's the Lord. And Peter grabs a robe and puts it on because it says in the Bible he'd been fishing naked. By the way, that's his second biggest fail right there. (laughs) And if you like to fish naked, don't ever ask me to come with you, okay? I see all kinds of problems with that. But he jumps into the water and starts swimming and he gets to the shore and guess what? Jesus has breakfast cooking on the fire. And then this happens. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, uh uh-oh. Remember when you were a kid and your mama called you by your full name? If I ever heard James Richard Ashley, I knew rebuke was coming. So Peter's thinking, okay, here it comes. I deserve it. I just got to take it. Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you tied your own belt and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will put out your hands and someone else will tie you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to show how Peter would die, to give glory to God. And then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. I want you to put yourself in that moment. Their first conversation after his epic fail. What were you thinking? How could you do that to me? I told you you'd blow it. No. Jesus doesn't condemn. 
Jesus commissions. He says, Peter, I need you back in the game. I don't need you up in the stands. I need you on the field. I need you to take care of my sheep. I need you to do what I've trained you to do. I believe in you, Peter. You are going to finish strong. Even your death is going to glorify God. And Peter learned there is something bigger than his biggest fail. Something as huge as the resurrection itself. He learned that grace is epic. God brought you here to tell you so you could learn the same thing. The pastor, you don't know what I did. No, I don't. But I know it wasn't any worse than what Peter did. And I know that the one who came back from the dead invited Peter to make a comeback. See, here's the thing you got to understand. Jesus has no choice but to use people like you and me that have a lot of failure on the resume. Who else is he going to use? So I love the story two months ago. There's a couple in Florida. Got a one-year-old in the car seat. They're driving, and for some reason, they need to stop the car on the side of the road. Both the parents get out. He tosses the keys on the seat and unintentionally closes the door, locks it. The keys are in the car. They can't get in the car. Little one-year-old strapped in the car seat. They start to panic when they look across the highway, and there are some inmates from a local penitentiary doing some road work on the side, and they begin to ask if they could help. Well, let's just say these guys... They had a particular set of skills. (laughs) And they took a clothes hanger, and within one minute, they had that door open and that baby rescued. You know, and the sheriff said, now, we got some guys in here, and they're just mean. But most of these guys are not bad guys. They're guys who made a bad decision. And they hope someone will ever believe in them and give them a chance to do something good. So I don't care how small your fail was. It's not so small God didn't see it. And I don't care how big your fail was. It's not so big that God can't forgive it. You cannot sin yourself outside the reach of the grace of God. And God, He does not want you to cover up your failure. He wants to cover your failure in the blood of Christ. That's why Paul said in Romans 4, he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. That's what God wants to do. Stop covering it. Let God cover it. Let God bury your fail in the blood of Christ. And I got some news. It gives me goosebumps to think about it. When God buries your fail in the blood of Christ, that fail is never resurrected again. And that's why. That's why Paul could say in Romans 8, So there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And I looked up that word no in the Greek, and it means no. I mean, it means nada. It means not at all. It means it's gone. There's no condemnation. If Easter is true, then your failure is just as powerless as the grave was to stop God from doing what He wants to do. 
And so we're starting this series. I want you to come back next week. It's called Epic and Grace. We're just going to look at some of the biggest fails in the Bible. We're going to see every single time God's grace was bigger. And the symbol for this series is going to be this stained glass window. We've all seen and been enthralled by the beauty, the sacredness, the holiness of these stained glass windows. But what is a stained glass window? It's just a bunch of broken, shattered pieces of glass that an artist put back together to tell a beautiful story. And that's what you can be. And that's what we can be as a church. Different races, ages, backgrounds, we all have this in common. Ephesians 1, we have forgiveness of our failures based on His overflowing grace. Because here's the thing. God is better at fixing than we are at failing. And if Easter really happened, and it did, then what I said is really true. And this church is filled with stories of grace. I want you to hear one more, so watch the screen, please. This is where my life collided with God's grace. I got myself into some legal trouble, and I had a court date on the East Coast. We thank you for choosing Southwest Airlines. Have a great day in Boston. I was supposed to take a bus up north, but as soon as I landed, I found the airport bar, and I just started drinking. Finally, I stumbled out of the airport, and I made my way to an overpass. I made up my mind to try to end it. My life as I knew it, I thought was over. I had court date after court date, no driver's license, my, my family was shot, I had, you know, my house was gone, I had, I had nothing left. I carried so much shame and I wasn't going to have any more of it. I just wanted it to be over. So when I woke up in the hospital, I was being evaluated by a nurse. That's when she informed me of what I was doing up there on the bridge and what I had tried to do. So she told me that somebody called the cops, and they came and arrested me and uh, took me off the bridge. So the nurse asked me why I didn't do it. I had enough faith to know that I was alive because of God's grace. Just the initial walking around and and just knowing that I'm still alive, that I'm still here, that I still have another shot, I was spared that day. But I still had such a long way to go. So we're about four years um, after all that, and uh, I'm still working on my sobriety. I'm at this point. I'm married to my wife, Lauren. Uh, we have a little baby, and in a little tiny efficiency apartment, and it's about a mile from the hills to NRH campus. 
There was a reason I didn't jump off that bridge that day, and I needed to explore that. When I was a kid, I used to go to church you know, with my dad and my meemaw. And so I knew, you know, basically go find God again because I knew something was missing. Lauren, my wife, she thought I was crazy. She's like, church? I'm like, really? You're going to church? And so I went and I kind of just made my way in the back. Immediately I knew that, like, this is a place so I can bring my family. And I got home and I was excited to tell her about it. And uh, to my surprise, she was like, yeah, I was, I was watching online. So the first Sunday that my family all came to the hills together was Easter Sunday three years ago. It's hard for me to put into words just how far we've all come. Such a burden has been lifted off of my shoulders, man. I used to walk, like I said, with so much shame uh, and guilt. And now I walk with just, you know, um, more confidence and just in love and peace. It's a feeling of peace. And now, like, instead of being someone that my wife has to, like, worry about, like, feel like I'm someone that she can now be proud of and look up to and lead our family. It's such a great feeling to know that going from that dark place of just being lost to now being found and walking in grace and, and peace and being able to lead my family where they're supposed to go, man. And I thank God, man, that he had and has other plans for me, and it wasn't for me to, to take my life there on that bridge that day. Just a testament to where wherever you are, however far you run, however fast you're running, God will meet you where you're at. So, here we are, it's Easter. You believe that Jesus came back from the dead. But do you have enough faith to believe that you could come back? I don't think Jesus came to tell you how bad you are. I think He came to help us see how good God is. And so, just as He did for Peter... Jesus has a word for you. I'd like you to take your card and just go ahead and open it up, please. This is just between you and the Lord. Dear, every day the world around you tries to tell you who you are. Today I want you to listen to me. I want you to hear me say how much I love you. When I created the universe, I had you in mind. And when I created you, it gave me such joy. Always remember that. Please. I still take so much delight in you. I love it when you... I take such pleasure in seeing you enjoy life. But I know that life is rarely easy. You've been through some tough times and had your share of disappointments. Some of the things you dared to dream, like... It may seem out of reach now... But don't settle or give up. You and I still have important things to do together. That's right. I still want to use your life. I know you're not perfect. I know all about. But trust me. My grace is greater than your greatest fail. Remember that I'm the God who defeats death. If the grave could not hold my son, then nothing can hold me back from forgiving you restoring you and using you so please my child let me tell you who you are you are my beloved my chosen one and my delight 
And I'm inviting you today to receive from me a kind of life that even death cannot stop. My grace is that epic. And this is from your Father. He loves you more than you can imagine. Maybe you need to take that letter and stick it in your Bible or some place where you can just pull it out every now and then. Because you are not what you did. You are who God says you are. And the God that raised Jesus from the dead says, you are mine. And my grace is enough. Let's pray. So God, I know there are some here right now just wrestling to believe in the resurrection. I pray for a supernatural empowering of your Holy Spirit to help them get there. But I know for a lot of us, we're struggling with a different miracle. Can we really believe that grace is that big and that strong? Help us, God. We need your Spirit's help to begin to grasp how enormous, how good, how real your grace is. It would change everything. It would change us. And so, God, for the sake of the glory and the mission of Jesus, move the idea of grace from our head to our heart and plant it deep there. Amen.